This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man. That really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! I hope you guys enjoy that as much as I did. A great hour plus. With K.J. Wright, uh, he may have called himself a very, very, very good player. Not quite elite, but, man, when he comes in here, he is elite at doing this. I just love having him on. And I'll admit, I wasn't necessarily planning to go quite as much down memory lane, but his stories are just so interesting to me about that time period. And, and I'll, I'll admit, I feel a little guilty when we start talking about the you know, the golden years, because I think that there is an element of just constantly going back and thinking about like the 95 Mariners. And I, I, I do strive to push forward as often as possible with this show, rather than having it be about memories and trying to make it about what is now, what is current, what comes next. And that, that, that's a, a big part of how we built this station. And, and one of the reasons I think we've, we've had some success at times because we try to push towards the future, not the past, but the man's stories are just so darn interesting. And he's got such a completely new perspective on a team that we couldn't learn enough about that those guys had just enough secrecy to them. Uh, and we just weren't able to draw all of those stories out of those guys when they were in the middle of it. So I will admit, I, I really, really um, feel strange going so long in terms of the memories with KJ, but I'm probably not going to stop. It's a, it's a, it's a one-off for me. It's the, you know, the exception to the rule because I just his his in his knowledge of what happened then and being in the middle of it that we're finally starting to learn about now for the first time. I'm sorry, I'm just too fascinated. It's just such an interesting collection of human beings between, you know, Sherm and Cam and Earl and Russ and Marshawn and then everybody else that occasionally finds themselves Bobby and KJ and, you know, Bennett and Avril. These guys are fascinating human beings in addition to being great players. Mm-hmm. It's like any any great mystery throughout anything. You've always wanted to know the story behind. Yes. And you finally have a little people. Yeah, because and Mike Robb didn't give nearly no. enough. He was here for some of it. And Mike Robb's great at what he does, but he's not given nearly as much. For the most part, these guys are pretty quiet about it, which is fine. I respect that. But KJ's willing to open up. He's willing to take us into that era. And it's just... I'm sorry. It is just absolutely fascinating and, to me. And it wasn't like it was some of these stories you hear in sports where it's like, oh, it was an, it was a clubby or it was like, oh, it was an old trainer or it was a whatever. It's like, no, he was in it. He right. was an integral part of it. He wasn't standing on the sidelines watching it happen. Yeah. So he has the respect of it, too. So no one's going to come back and be like, oh, he wasn't really there. Right. Or he was only there for like a half a season. He doesn't really know the whole thing. It's just funny, though. And 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 I love talking to KJ because, I, first of all, he's a listener and he's a thinker. Is one of the reasons I've really, you know, as opposed to having Brock in here every day, I actually get somebody to talk to as a listener and a thinker. <laughs> yeah, right, sure. Um, but he, he, he kind of, he's on to me. He knows when I've sort of, I'm trying to trap him into something, I, which I, I just love. Yep, he'll kind of give me that look like, hey, I see what you're doing here. But what I like about it is that he'll, he'll think a little bit about it and say, okay, well. Sure. You know, because it's 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 one thing to say things in theory. It's another thing to bring them up in practice. Right. And so, like, in theory, he believes that a team of K.J. Wrights can win a Super Bowl in practice when he looks at the Seahawks, which I think actually I, I think that's not a terrible analogy. 
maybe not quite KJ Wrights, but they got a lot of kind of KJ Wrights. Really good players that you need to have on your team to win, but probably aren't going to be the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, KJ Light. Right. They've got they've got a lot of KJ Lights <laughs> KJ on Lights. their team. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And so um yeah, I, uh, I I I like talking to him about sort of what that looks like for the Seahawks and whether or not that's an opportunity for them to uh, to 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 win. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what happens. And obviously, it'll be fun having KJ in the building all throughout uh, next year. Once again, eight o'clock every Wednesday, the KJ Wright Show. Your point of him being an active listener and the way that he responds to something. And I remember the very first interview we had with him. When we were in the side studio. It was like an hour. Oh, when he after first show, came in, first that was awesome. He was fantastic. We did like a forty-five minute interview with him. But you, were, I remember thinking that the very one of the very first tough questions you asked him, he went, "Explain that." And I was like, oh, okay. He's oh, going to yeah. answer it, but he needs to know, he needs to see your full deck before yes. he's going to yeah. gonna wade into the pool. Yeah, I mean, KJ appropriately knows not to trust me. So he's like, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> I got to see exactly where you're coming from with this yeah. question to make sure I'm not walking into a trap. And I'm not really looking to obviously trap anybody, but I, I will admit there's that sort of debating part of my brain that just says, yeah, well, hold on a second. You. If you're going to say X and you're going to say Y, they better work together or else you might not believe what you think you believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'll admit to sort of having some fun with that. And KJ's sort of learning, I think, what it means to criticize people out there and who you played with and who you're friends with, et cetera. And it's funny when these guys get out of the out of the game and they start doing media or whatever, or maybe they just get a little perspective on it, it, it you know, not all. Some sort of have a different view all of a sudden of what it means to do this job where, unfor- and I've said this yesterday, it's weird. It's weird to criticize and judge athletes for what they do. It's a weird job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do understand that. It's a very strange part of my job that a big part of it is like judging what other guys do at their job all day. Right. And he, but he has the perspective of being able to straddle the line where he knows that anything he's saying, he can check with himself as a player internally before it comes out. And then, you know, I just try to be as honest about how I feel as I can. And, and if it upsets somebody like Richard Sherman, you kind of have to just deal with that. What I, I don't like is when people try to hide. Right. Like, oh, I'm willing to say these things, but I won't go in the clubhouse. I won't go in the locker room. I won't be around the team. I won't. You got to kind of be willing to take the arrows and, you know, they're going to come sometimes. If if they don't come, if every player likes you, you're probably not doing your job right. Mm -hmm. Fair. So, you know, these things happen. Occasionally you get a uh, a Richard Sherman moment like poor KJ had to experience oh. last year. All right. <laughs> the day that will not be mentioned. I think about it often. Do you really? Yeah. Well, I mean, every day we play the damn sound I know of it. That, so, like, how like, can you not? But I, when I see him, like, I, I, that memory it was so still so early in, yeah. like, getting to know KJ. And it, it's just, it's always going to be there. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's so funny. All right. Well, great stuff from KJ and really excited to uh, have him back here uh, every Wednesday throughout the football season. And I like what he had to say about kind of where they're at. It is going to be, as I think about it, and as we start thinking through, you know, storylines heading into this season, once we get to training camp, this is make or break. You know, Justin, you asked me, who is this make or break for? Mm-hmm. D. Eskridge, yes, obviously. I mean, he may or may not make the team. Training camp is going to be make or break for D. Eskridge. This season, there's a make or break element for Geno Smith. 
Oh. It's funny to say that because he just got some money, out. and they, but they gave themselves an out. Yeah. And KJ's right. They're sort of on a three-year plan to make themselves a contender. You're going to find out this year if Geno Smith can bring you to the promised land. And the, the last thing I wanted to get to with KJ, so please remind me to put this on the list for him next time, is do, does Pete Carroll need one of those elite quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl? Or is his system built in such a way that maybe he doesn't? And I think we're going to find out whether or not Gino was enough that guy. If he can do it a second year, we're all going to believe that that the year after that, Gino's got to take him to Super Bowl because you should at that point have enough talent that you've built up and grown up and worked together without any real holdouts or, or con- contractual issues. Yeah, the year after this one's going to be, you know, that that moment. And if Gino looks this year like he's not going to bring you to that promised land, then this entire next off season becomes about finding the guy who is. So make or break, Justin. I didn't think about it when you asked me last night. You're right. D. Eskridge sort of the name that comes out, but it's Gino. This is Gino. It's funny. Last year was his prove it year, but this year is his make or break year in so many different yeah. ways because it decides the future of this franchise. We'll be right back with everything you need to know. Shannon Dreyer will join us in 20. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, after a day off yesterday, the Mariners back to it tonight or really this afternoon. They will be in New York for the start of a very tough road trip. They'll play the Yankees and then the Orioles. Three games in each town. Two teams that are ahead of them in the wild card standings. Yankees are actually tied for that last spot. Just three games ahead of Seattle. So, Kirby, Castillo, and Wu will be your three pitchers in New York. They'll throw two of their best against the Yankees team that is struggling badly right now, especially offensively. You might remember last year in New York, that was when we first saw Luis Castillo and showed just how dominant he could be. Mariners really kind of started their playoff push in that series, and he matched up with Garrett Cole. Remember how that started? First inning, home runs from Suarez, Santana, and Kelnick. So, yeah, Garrett Cole will uh, pitch for the Yankees again today. Mariners will be looking for a similar outcome, this time with George Kirby on the hill. Can they do it? Of course they can, as long as they stay within themselves. You know, I think every guy's situation is a little bit different based on how they're pitched. But, you know, trying to pull back and what we try to really focus on is staying in the middle of the field, staying to the big part of the field. And when you do that, the situational hitting usually cleans up a little bit. And in, for whatever reason, you know, in those spots, we have not uh, done as well, um, you know, when we've gotten away from our approach a little bit. We've got to stay in the middle and to the other part of the field. Um, it really does help you stay on the off-beat pitches and, you know, lessens the load a little bit on trying to do too much up there. Yeah, that was something Scott said over the weekend when they had another tough day. I think it was game two against Chicago. They still have work to do in forcing these pitchers to do what they need them to. you got to let the pitcher come to you. Uh, you know, you guys, you know, we've had kind of this struggle throughout the course of the year is, you know, want to get the big hit. You want to get the big, you know, the, the big knock to, to drive in the winning run or whatever. And sometimes you then get away from uh, your swing decisions and you start swinging at some pitches out of the zone because you are a little anxious. So um, can't fault early in the game. We've been doing exactly what we're talking about doing, getting the pressure on the starter. But ultimately, you know, you got to have those, those quality at bats uh, with guys in scoring position. They certainly will need to do that in New York and possibly even more so in Baltimore. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, it's funny, speaking of those teams, it was a few weeks ago, the American League looked like it was just going to race away from the Mariners. But today, 
seems like everything's kind of come back to them. The Yankees have really struggled recently. The Rays have lost a few in a row. Blue Jays have struggled. Astros have struggled. In fact, those teams have lost a combined 14 straight games. So, yeah, Texas has even cooled off a little bit. I know they've won a few in a row. But the point I'm trying to make is that even though the Mariners have not played up to their expectation or their potential, and they clearly have not, they're not the only team in the league. And, you know, these there is a reason that we talk about baseball as being a marathon. It's not just that you can play better. It's that some of the teams that started off hot may come back to earth. So that door is open. Honestly, it is. They're only three games back in the wild card with three games right now against an Aaron Judge-less Yankees team that is not hitting and not playing particularly well. So after that, Baltimore and then a lousy Washington team at home here next week. Do what you can. Win seven of nine in those nine games. You're right in the thick of things. Like They're absolutely capable of doing it. They just got to play well enough to make that happen. Here's the third thing you need to know. NHL for a moment or two here. Draft uh, just a couple weeks away, not even. And then free agency starts right after that on July 1st. And uh, I don't know, as you're starting to make decisions on what the future looks like, I like this article I read from Rob Simpson at Hockey uh, Seattle Hockey Insider suggesting that the Kraken should consider trading a goalie and drafting a goalie this year. I kind of I agree with both of those. Look, you got to have goaltending. You should probably be drafting a goalie almost every year just to have enough in your system, sort of like quarterbacks, right? Maybe not every year, but close. I think Martin Jones probably takes off. And then Chris Drieger, I don't necessarily trust him after the injuries. And then he really did not end up having a good season this year at all. But Joey Decord had a heck of a year. Maybe he's ready for primetime. Had a great run in the AHL playoffs. Played well when he was called up at times this season. And if there is a market for Philip Grubauer, and I don't know if there is. There might not be. Maybe he's too expensive, too old, and the same reasons why I'm willing to move on would be reasons why another team wouldn't be willing to give up much to get him. But if you can capitalize on his playoff performance, if there are teams out there that are drawn to what he just did in the playoffs and believe that can put them over the top, that's an opportunity I think you've got to take if you're Ron Francis, especially if it allows you to bring in one of the types of stars that we've talked about that could really help this team on the power play. So that is everything you need to know. We do that quarter pass to every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. The other thing I liked hearing today uh, from Jeff Passan, who joined us a little earlier than normal, is that this is a great draft. And not just at the top, but that there's significant depth in it as well. The Mariners have the, is it 21, 29, and 30? It's either 21 or 22, I forget which. But it's like 21, 29, and 30 in this year's draft. That's three what are essentially first-round picks. 22. Sorry, 22, 29, and 30. Yes. Right? Yep, yep. I mean, that's a fantastic spot to be in. 22, 29, and 30. Yeah, 29 and, from Julio winning rookie. And there. because of that, they have a little extra bonus money, which they can give out to some of those guys. So if they want to, re, you know, if there's a couple of players that slip because of bonus money, it's a complicated the way the baseball draft works. They're in a great position to absolutely retool some of the farm system. They need bats. They have some younger bats, but wouldn't shock me if two out of those three top picks ended up being bats and another one is an arm, because as you know, you can never have enough of those either. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty exciting little situation. The Mariners find themselves in three picks in the top 30. No, they're not type top five picks. So some of the biggest names that you've heard skeins and a few of the other guys in this year's draft, they're not going to be Mariners, but 
you're, no. you're talking about real serious potential talent that could be here to help sooner rather than later. And three of the teams in your division uh, do have picks in the top ten. I know. <laughs> Yeah, Rangers notably at number four. Rangers are at four, but not in the top three, right? No. That this no, is I mean, Pirates, Nationals, Tigers, right? And there's three guys that are sort of above everybody else. Yeah, in the this next draft. Otani. So thankfully, yeah. you don't have to worry about that. But yeah, no, that's uh, certainly certainly a concern. You're not the only one out there trying to get better, as we uh, as we learned earlier today. I didn't Turns think out that was there's allowed. 29 other teams in the league that also have uh, have a sense of of trying to do yeah. that. All right, uh, I told you Shannon Dreyer is going to be with us here in a moment. She is in New York for the season. Series ready to go. Uh, what is she seeing in the clubhouse? Is that sense of urgency finally taken hold? We'll ask her those questions and more coming up next on Brock and Salk. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Yeah, we will do some ranking coming up here in, what, 15 minutes. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com as well. And, uh, yeah, let's go to New York now. Talk to Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider who is there. Shannon, did you know that New York is the most important baseball town in the world? <laughs> you don't say. Can I play you something? I, I don't mean to. I just I got to play this for you. This was uh, this was Friday on uh, or yesterday rather on Wyman and Bob John Jastrzemski, who I'm sure you'll see there. He's an SNY guy and the Ringer and a bunch of other stuff. Just listen to this and tell me you haven't heard this a million times from other people around the Yankees. It's a simple solution, guys. It's the offense. You know, it's the economy stupid. It's the offense stupid. I mean, you look at their numbers, and since the in through to Aaron Judge, what was it, back on June the 3rd or June the 4th? I mean, they had in average on-base percentage, OPS. They're, I think, 28th or 29th in baseball in, in runs scored. And we're talking about the Yankees. You know, this is what you would expect out of the Kansas City Royals. This is what you would expect out of the lowly Oakland A's. Shannon, we're talking about the Yankees here. The Yankees are struggling. Can you believe it? It's never happened before. It's the end of the world. It's unbelievable. <laughs> this isn't the Royals. This isn't some team that plays, you know, west of the Hudson River. This is the Yankees. One of the funny things when they were in Seattle last time, and it, it makes sense on one level, but I also think there was an aspect of, well, everything baseball in New York is the best, <laughs> is that when the team was leaving, and I do love Susan Waldman, and she she kind of uh, pulled me aside when she was walking downstairs, and she said, your young pitching is great. I'm like, I know. And she said, do you know who the best is of that group? I'm like, well, who? And she said, George Kirby. He pitches like a New Yorker. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he is from New York, so that does make sense on some level. But I, I do think it was like, oh, this is a guy that could come into Yankee Stadium and Not do this. Anything. And because just... that's, you know, the stage and everything else, which I thought was kind of funny. I had a very quiet chuckle to myself because, well, of course, that's the view right. on that side. Just... And they certainly don't want to see that tonight. But what I'm really interested to see when we get to the stadium is they just dropped three to the Boston Red Sox and they have lost eight of their last 11. I'm wondering, if, if things go sideways at all, what is that reaction in that crowd going to be like tonight? Yeah, probably not great. I mean, that is the one thing about all of that from New York is that when it turns, it can get ugly in a hurry, and I know people like to talk about the accountability, but it can actually go in the other direction at times also. Yeah, and I don't know how familiar some of this group. I mean, they were barely you know recognizable when they were in Seattle. 
which there is, I think that's somewhere where the you know frustration comes from, but it's eternal with them. But I understand that. It's like, this does not look like the fearsome lineup of Yankees past. And Stanton's back, not doing too much. Uh, Rizzo's back. You didn't see him in Seattle, but with Aaron Judge out of that lineup, it just doesn't look the same. Although, even without Aaron Judge, they showed that they can hit together as a unit and almost kind of flashed what I think the blueprint was for the Mariners offense. They were able to pull it off for the Mariners offense. They were able to pull it off in Seattle. I'd like to see a little bit of that from the Mariners in their ballpark. Shannon, was it a good homestand for the Mariners? I think so in terms of the big picture. Um, And it was interesting to see how they reacted after 18 strikeouts were absolutely horrific, but it didn't wipe out all the good. There was a lot of cap tipping going on and Lance Lynn, you know, he's a Cy Young finalist two years ago and he's a good pitcher and had good stuff out there. And that's, you know, the hitters, I think that they are on a good enough path right now. And that what we saw start in San Diego on the road trip is taking hold and they feel good about it, that they were able to put that one aside. Had this been, you know, even three weeks ago, that might've been an absolute dagger to have a game like that. So I think, uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses, well, it wasn't pretty. They got the wins. Uh, and, you know, in terms of just progress, what's most critical to this team right now is getting that offense fixed. I think they took steps forward, but obviously they've got to push those runs across. Great to get the starter out after five innings. Great to get all the guys on base, but they got to score runs, and that's the next step. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I've been struggling with how to put that homestand into sort of a greater context. Because on one hand, you bash the Marlins twice. They do win four out of six games, which obviously, you know, you win two series. You're sort of doing your job. And yet, you know, you have that really frustrating loss to the Marlins. That one just drove me insane. Uh, and not necessarily because they played badly, but just sort of the circumstances around it. And I didn't feel like they they hit. They took a lot of that hitting into the Chicago series and, and did much against a rotation that I felt like they'd be able to really do some damage against. Yeah, but let's also remember where they're at. That's another thing I'm curious to see is, you know, all those uh, 372-foot shots that Gino Suarez <laughs> had in the frustrating game. What happens in Yankee Stadium? Uh, it might be a little different because he's not going to go to right field as much, but, you know, how is the ball flying here? If they trans- And maybe they're thinking that, too, because there was frustration with the building. You hate to hear it, but you did hear some close the roof. Uh, on that homestand so okay well put your money where your mouth is when you get out on the road then let's see if they leave but I think there's kind of a really a a greater awareness of where they are right now within that clubhouse and that's really important Mm -hmm. and you know it kind of hit me that last week was kind of well well that's baseball week you didn't get the frustrating game and you didn't get you know you just missed the grand slam but you probably aren't supposed to also win the game that you strike out 18 times so I think in that kind of sense there's probably a little bit more feeling of balance and a little bit more of, you know, the crazy things aren't happening as much as they were. And that kind of helps when you're trying to push things forward. Yeah. What is the sense of urgency like right now around this team? I think it's more, I think, as I said, I do think they know where they're at. And I'm kind of wondering if seeing Texas recently kind of, kind of reinforce that. We haven't heard at all what we heard this time last year. We're fine. We're a good team. We've done this before. They're not leaning on that, which is good to hear. And we did see the one win. One run wins, or we saw a one run win on this road, on this homestand. And that makes me feel a little bit better where they are. And I think they probably feel a little bit better where they are. But I think that, you know, when I first wasn't hearing 
that they had confidence because they've been there before. I was a little bit disturbed about it because that's been their DNA. And now I feel better about it because I think it does show that awareness and that they do have to do more. J.P. Crawford has talked about it, got that running on an insider right now and on a post on 710. Uh, Cal Raleigh has been vocal about it, that we aren't doing enough. we got to get these runs across. So, you know, it is actually good to hear that because that's just something we really haven't heard from this group. To me, that definitely translates to urgency. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I know I saw Ryan Divish tweeting about some of the, you know, the way the schedule plays out for them moving forward. It just feels like maybe they've they've sort of wasted a lot of their margin of error. It doesn't mean that they're out. They're certainly not. They're three games back in the wild card. But I think that's why maybe the this is baseball week or this is baseball game on Wednesday was so aggravating to me. They've used up a lot of those chits already, I guess is how I would say it. They have, but we also haven't seen the offense full force what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And if that capability is there and if they get to that, they're not going to need that as much. You know, that's kind of how I balance that out. Obviously, they still need some help. But if they are indeed, if what we have been seeing that has led to, you know, if they're getting the starters out, the, you know, sticking with the team approach at the plate, kind of giving yourself up, most of them, they're still struggling in leverage situations, some key, you know, parts in particular. But if they are able to, you know, crack that code pretty quickly, then I still think that this is an offense that is 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 capable of putting up what you need to put up with the pitching that is giving you and perhaps a little bit more. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. It's it's that's in we're running out of time and waiting for this. There's no denying that. But if that is there, then I'm not as concerned about the opportunities that have been missed. And there have been a lot of them, but you know, this should be an offense that is capable of some big runs. And I'm not talking 14 games, but the eight out of tens, you know, more of those seeing that kind of thing, more consistent winning all of the series, mm-hmm. you know, rather than here and there. I think that's there. I think I do believe in the talent of the group still needing some help offensively. And if we do see if it does continue to trend in the direction that it is right now, I think they've got a shot at being able to put that behind them. And all of that said, September and things could change. I mean, baseball is a crazy sport. You know, where were the, where were the Atlanta Braves this time last year? Where were the Phillies? You know, that kind of thing. Where were the Mariners this time last year? Uh, So we'll see where it ends up at the end of the year. But that September is very, very tough. So they're going to need, if they are still in it, they're going to need some help for that probably. But they will have been building toward that and uh, and playing good baseball to put themselves in that position. So, you know, I think it's an important, uh, we've talked about getting to the corner. You got to turn it. Mm. I think now's the time you got to turn it. Now you are running out of those opportunities, but I think the potential for them to have a good offense and to have enough offense is there. What are you seeing from Julio right now? Uh, I'm seeing he's struggling in the leverage situations, which that's why it was good to see him come through on Sunday in that big situation. But, um, you know, he's still being pretty aggressive at the plate. and You don't want to take too much of that away from him. But uh, Scott Service said something kind of key, I think, on Friday in the pregame. They've got to aware they've got to be aware that, you know, you you can put pressure on the pitcher. The pitcher, it doesn't have to be on you. And in Julio in particular, pitchers are afraid of Julio. He hasn't had the greatest year, but great hitters can turn back into great hitters at any time. We've seen that with opponents. You always have to be aware of that. They're aware of his potential, but he's kind of letting them have those at-bats in the big situations, and that's when he's not going 80%. He's trying to go 110%, and you're seeing the pop-outs and, you know, the – 
the two pitch outs that are just, you know, way too quick. I don't think he's swinging as wildly as he was, but he's also not putting the ball in play uh, as much as he did last year, or as much as you would like to see in those leverage situations. And between that, I think we are seeing pressure, but I, I, we are seeing progress, but I think we're seeing the pressure in the big situation yeah, still. The, the pop-ups have been the thing that I've really noticed. I don't know that I could prove to you that he's popping up more or that, you know, the pop-ups have been worse than the strikeouts, but just, you know, from a viewing standpoint, the, the early count pop-ups yep. Especially yeah. in big spots, what does that signify to you? I, I mean, I think I know generally what strikeouts mean, but I, I'm not sure I or, or what rollover ground balls mean. I'm not sure I fully understand what it is that would cause him to pop up so much. I think he's trying to pull in that situation. I think he's trying to go too big. I think that's when we're mostly seeing that, and they're you know they're after him to really please stay up the middle, stay gap to gap there. And I think he loses it a little bit in that situation. Mm. Well, you saw it. It certainly worked. Uh, what was it on Sunday as he had the double to right center field, right? Driving in a couple runs and the more of that we can see. And hopefully the more he gets that positive reinforcement from it, the better off he and they will be. Uh, we're going to see Brian Wu in this series as well. Game three of the uh, Yankees series. Great uh, last couple of outings for him. Where is he at? And then maybe more importantly, what do you do once he hits his innings limit, which is going to happen at some point here? Well, I mean, I think you look at him kind of as where he's at with the same way that you looked at Bryce Miller. And, you know, you continue to bring him along. He's not a finished product. They are still really working on refining the breaking balls. But I think that the biggest thing for him is that he slowed things down and got comfortable. And, you know, I think in his first game and talking to him, just there were so many mental things that went out the window with the emotions that were there. And he was able to rein that back in uh, quite a bit. And I think that we've seen that in his last two starts. So uh, I, I think the stuff definitely with the fastball is there. I think he has the ability to command and I think they'll continue to work with the breaking ball. And I've kind of been wondering, and, and you know, I'll have the opportunity to talk to some people on this trip about it, but I mean, maybe I'm wondering not only what happens as he reaches an innings limit and he has to have one he's not one that they can just watch you know because he's just he hasn't pitched period and he's had some injury um, issues in the past right and right. he's had injury injuries well he's two years separated from tommy john you got to be careful with that but what do you do when marco comes back and i kind of wonder if somehow you can work the two together you know is it do you go six man for a little bit or is there a piggyback situation or do you flat out give uh, a little bit of time off. I'm sure we'll hear the standard, oh, well, you know, back things off around the all-star break, and you might be able to make up for a start there. But uh, I'm kind of curious to see if they're able to work something with everybody in the rotation going with six, maybe a six-man, probably not. They seem violently opposed to it, but maybe, you know, some sort of situation where they're kind of sharing time in that spot as needed. Well, they certainly have a free roster spot because I don't understand really what it is Chris Flexen is still doing on this roster. So if you need if you need a pitching spot, something tells me that may be a spot where you can uh, generate some of that space. Yeah, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. He did so much for them the yep. last two years and just has not, they haven't been able to utilize him in the pen. And unfortunately, the opportunities that he's had, he's, he's proved very hittable. It's, it's not the best situation right now. Shannon, great stuff as always. Enjoy being in New York. I don't know if you've heard, but that's the best baseball team ever. And uh, they are actually, it's been <laughs> ordained from God that they get to be better than everybody else. So I, I hope you're able to really enjoy yourself while you're there. 
I'm just grateful they allow me to be in their presence, Mike. Quite, quite frankly, it's an honor that you should say thank you for every day. Shannon, thank you as always. It's an honor to have you on this show. I can tell you that. We love talking to you. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. You got it. All right, our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer, and you can read her, of course, at seattlesports.com. What time is it, Justin? Time for ranks. Our last one without Mora. Yeah. Before she comes back to away ruin everything tomorrow. Play. <laughs> Let's play right now. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on Brock and Saw. Yeah, top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Anybody else kind of imagine Mora sitting in Iowa right now thinking to herself, oh, I got to go back to those two idiots tomorrow. Jackals. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Can I extend this vacation? I'd rather be in Iowa than go back to my job. Hey, it's not raining there. <laughs> Why so are nice. we ranking miles today, oh, Justin? It's a big day in the automotive industry. So I get these emails every day of things that have happened on this day in history from um, the mo- automotive world. Yes. And on this day in 1903, Big day. The first mile-a-minute performance in a car happened in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. Mile-a-minute. Mile-a-minute. That's 60 miles an hour. 60 miles an hour. Hmm. Couldn't believe it. 1903? That seems early for that. sure does. That's That's pretty impressive. It was a big deal. Big day. I'm intrigued by that. All right. Well, miles ranked. We've already ranked minutes. Right. Here's uh, (laughs) Vanessa Carlton. I thought that was Natalie Imbruglia. Oh, no. No, hers was Torn. Well, that, you're saying those are significantly different? Mm. I know that Torn is Natalie Imbruglia. I thought this was That's also Natalie pretty Imbruglia. Pretty good point. They're not all that different. They're very similar. I just think of the videos. It's a good song. It's fine. It's a good song. Let's see what else we've got for Miles. How many times have you seen Death Proof? One of my favorites. And uh, there's a key uh, part of that movie where uh, she's supposed, or she's asking people to recite a poem, a Robert Frost poem. And one of the key parts of that poem is here: "The woods are lovely, dark and deep, and I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep." Curse is so good. Did you hear me, butterfly? Miles to go before you sleep. He's terrific. He's so creepy in that yeah. movie. He's great. Uh, yeah, he's a great actor, man. He, he doesn't is. get enough credit. Kurt Russell's really good in almost everything he's in. I know. And like, did he did he just get pegged as like a rom com rom com guy for a while? Like, what yeah, was maybe. The thing? I mean, he was you know who he was married Overboard to and, and all that. Yeah. But he's much better doing stuff like this, grizzled and. He's great, man. That's a really good movie. I love that. Death Proof is one of my favorite Tarantino movies. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, not a big Green Mile fan. Actually, I've never seen it. I want it to be over and done with. <laughs> I'm tired, boss. So surprised. Yeah, just never seen that one. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So surprised. Yeah, you can send that one right to Three Mile Island as far as I'm concerned. Uh, or the Miracle Mile or Mile High Stadium. Mile. Yeah, of course you got Miles Austin, the wide receiver, and Miles Sanders, the running back. Yeah, yeah. I know everybody's thinking of uh, Miles, uh, Darius Miles, former LA Clipper great. Everybody was thinking it. Sure you were. Everybody was. Or perhaps Miles Mikolas, the uh, baseball pitcher. Hmm. There's a a clothing company called Miles, which M-Y-L-E. Oh, that's wacky. Yeah. (laughs) 
was really out there. You got Miles Teller, actor, who played uh, Goose's kid in the new Top Gun. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drops a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. I watched it again recently. Did you like it a second time? Not as much. Not as much. Really? I, honestly, I, I'm going to sound like a crazy person. I didn't love it the first time. Oh, wow. That's on you, then. I mean, it's just, I don't it's just a little you. too much corniness. No, it's the perfect amount, man. <laughs> it was exactly the right amount of corniness. Thanks for saving my life. That's what my dad would have done. Here's a little cracker. A million miles below that beach. Right, yeah. Maybe the worst show I've ever been to. Wow. Well, it was Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven, and he decided oh, right. to play You've all Camper before. Van Beethoven. You Just awful. Yep. Uh, I'll throw a little winger on here. They put on a good show when I saw them. Oh, yeah. I think, I, I, honestly, I think you're the first person I know who actively calls himself a winger fan. <laughs> That's a good album. Okay. This is the birds, yeah. This is a good song. The birds are good. They always have that same sort of twangy guitar in all their songs, right? Yep. And that, I mean, that was that sound, the Laurel Canyon sound. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yep. Uh, uh, walk a mile in my shoes. Joe South. Good. Of course, you got Miles Garrett, another big Miles. Yeah. Got don't Wade, like, Wade like Miley, him. Miles Montgomery. Oh, Miles. oh, yeah, Miles Montgomery. Shout out Miles. Uh, Miles Kennedy. Yes, from uh, what's the name Alter of that Bridge. band? Alter Bridge. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were going to mention TMZ, which is the 30 mile zone. Didn't know that. Yep. Miles City, Montana. Justin, Miles I thought City. you would have gotten I that. almost went to Miles City, Montana College, as a matter of fact. From there, I think it's 3,000 miles to Graceland, if I'm not mistaken. It's pretty close. Yep. And uh, that's right at mile 22, Mark Wahlberg. All right. Oh, the Mark Wahlberg. Are movie. you ready for the top five miles? Bring top it. five miles. Number five. From the Spider-Man Spider-Verse series, Miles Morales. Got a lot of text for that, so I'm glad that you got that. Absolutely, covered. since I just saw the uh, the second one, and the kids just went back and rewatched the first one again this week. Awesome. Miles Morales. Loved it. If you haven't seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, go see it immediately. Well, I don't think I need to get canceled for another movie take, since I wasn't the, the largest of largest Top Gun fans. I don't want to come in and say I didn't like that either. Did you see it? No, I'm just like. Oh, you don't, don't like want to go and then movie. get mad? Yeah, I don't want everybody to be mad. I don't really like superhero it. movies. I love this. I love Batman. Yeah, well, I really, really like this Spider Man movie. I think it is worth your time. Miles Morales, it. top five miles. Yes, for sure. Number five. It's a tough, uh, tough, it's a tough list here. Believe stacked, me. I know. It's stacked. Uh, number four. I came in like a rainbow. Oh. I never hit so yeah. hard That'd be Miles and Cyrus. Sorry. She's number four on this list. I can hear Mora's eyes rolling <laughs> wherever she is. Just like an empty sound of like <laughs> marbles in a jar yeah. or something. Just the groan. Yeah. Oh, Miley. But Miley can really sing, man. I don't like it when she talks. I find her to be absolutely <laughs> obnoxious as a person who speaks. Yeah. But as a singer, 
She is as close oh. as you're going to get to Stevie Nicks, man. She can really, really sing. She's got great yeah, pipes. Her speaking voice sounds like Stevie Nicks. Everything uh, she says, every time I hear her talk, I have to turn the station. I can't stand listening to me her. Me either. I appreciate But I absolutely love her music. I appreciate people texting in uh, Mem- Memphis Mayfire for uh, Miles Away. Yes, I had Thrice for Miles. You're not going to play either of them. Don't so know that. Don't What's Thrice it. for Miles? The song is called For Miles. The band's Thrice. Oh, Thrice. It's good. Okay. Running out of time. Let's go. All right, number three. His palms are sweaty. Knees weak. Arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweat. But all that song that we can play, but uh, yep. that'll work. And, of course, that is from the movie Eight Mile. Great movie. How many times do you think you've watched Eight Mile? Oh, a dozen. Same. My baseball coach used to put it on the bus every trip, and it was just difficult. Great movie. Yes. I really like it, and I kind of want him to make another movie. Do you think he could do something other Probably, than just play himself? Just no, because he just doesn't care about anything else. I know. Maybe that's true. Still, I kind of would like to see it. it. can't fake it. Hmm. Um, yeah. Number three? That's number three. Okay. Uh, by the way, I'm leaving something out that I know a lot of people are going to want to have in this list, but I've I've left it out on purpose. Which How about is, that? Are you going to tell us what it is? I'll is tell you I afterwards. Okay. Number two. It's a good Keith Moon song. Continues. Crushing it. Yeah, that's a great song. That's number two. Yep. And of course, I hope we got a hundred texts saying that number one should be. We did. Miles Davis. Obviously. Yes. What's this? I mean, a couple songs or albums called Milestones, I think, that were. Oh, Milestones. I get that. Yeah. That's terrific. That's a good. Good one. call. Good number one. Yeah, that's got to be number one. So you may have noticed that this song got left off, and it was on purpose. Not even an honorable mention. I didn't really want it anywhere near here. Sorry, <laughs> this song stinks. <laughs> Can't stand it. Can't stand you. Gotta go. I'll give you just a taste of it, but now that's going to be in your head all day. So yeah. sorry, my bad. Well, Blake's from Puyallup. Shout out, Miles Santa Gravel in Puyallup. Oh, there you go. Sure, that, not top five, but it no. It. But the, appreciate an, you listening. A nice from mention. There. Thank you to KJ Wright for coming in. If you missed that, go check out the podcast salesports.com or wherever you get your podcast. We'll be in tomorrow. Uh, G Scott's going to come join us for a little bit. We'll have some other fun surprises as well. We'll see you guys at six a.m. Till then, the hey, it's in the bar. See you, everybody. Get to the chopper.